this lion's territory, and you got five seconds to get off. I tell you, you start counting five like a sucker. One, two, three. So you're listening to Don't At Me with me, Ava Tanya. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. So as you may or may not know, depending on whether you're based in New South Wales or not, the New South Wales state elections are coming up on the 23rd of March. Actually, before I jump into anything, I should be saying a happy um, international day for the elimination of racial discrimination. I know that many people know today, at least in Australia, as Harmony Day, but fun fact, the rest of the world knows it as um, the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. I would highly recommend going and having a quick read up on that. I am interviewing Tim Lacerdo, the National Director and Founder of a fantastic organization called Democracy in Colour. And he'll be breaking it down a little bit more for you a little later. So as I was saying before, the New South Wales state election is upcoming. I've seen, like, seen so much chatter about this election on my social media. There's been, you know, I'm going to keep this as bipartisan as I can because this is radio, honey, but there's been a lot of chatter about um, certain political parties, their stances, um, about preferences that they've put. So I thought, why not have a fun, cute little episode where we don't necessarily delve into all of that, but have a chat with Tim Lasetto on maybe some things to consider when voting and a little bit of a high-level chat about how the Australian voting system works. Tim's also provided a really great link that I'll make sure that I share in case you're still confused after this conversation because there's a lot to it, you know. There's so many different elements to consider and there's so many different parties um, so it can be a little bit overwhelming especially if this is your first time voting. But yeah, so stay tuned. Freedom, item, meet him, where's your freedom? This one needs a brand new weed em. Weed and the key. Weed and the key them to life. Let's beat em. Weed em smartphones don't beat em. Yeah, when we say we're not with them We're solid and we don't need to kick them This is no South, East and Western Yeah, guns close doors to the system Yeah, when we say we're not with them We're solid and we don't need to kick them This is no South, East and Western 
them Yeah, fuck them when we say when I'm with them We're solid and we don't need to kick them This is no South East and Western Yeah, guns close doors to the system Yeah, fuck them when we say when I'm with them We're solid and we don't need to kick them at me here on FBI Radio. I'm here with Tim Lacerdo, founder and national director of Democracy in Colour, Australia's first national racial justice advocacy organisation led by people of colour. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. So as I know you know, but today happens to be March 21, which in Australia we, I would say, shamefully call Harmony Day. But fun fact to you listening, it's actually the UN's International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. You can thank our former Prime Minister for that fact, that you now have to wear orange and share ethnic food, because that's what Harmony is, right, Tim? Yep, that's right. Yeah. The official stuff. Of course. So what would you... Um, I guess say to anyone listening about Harmony Day. Well, I think, first of all, it's important to understand the context. On this day, 59 years ago, uh, police killed 69 people in a peaceful anti-apartheid demonstration in Sharpersville, South Africa. Now, six years later, the UN declared March 21 as the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. So this day is fundamentally rooted in that massacre in Sharpersville. And to reframe it, from an anti-racism day to a day that focuses on harmony is fundamentally a silencing tactic. Now, this happened in 1998, an invention of the Howard government, uh, and it's a silencing tactic. So suddenly today is not about tackling racism. Um, Now, today is about celebrating harmony. And implicit in that idea 
is that we've already reached our post-race utopia, that there's nothing more really to work upon. We've got all of these things to celebrate, and it's turned from a day of, of like introspection and a day around tackling you know, some of the challenges we've had to a day of celebration. Uh, and in this country, there's very little to celebrate when it comes to uh, how this country treats people of colour and treats Indigenous communities. Uh, so I would say that, that, that the transformation of this day into Harmony Day is just one example of a litany of this country's long history of denial uh, when it comes to racism. Most definitely. I do not disagree with you. Thank you for saying that so eloquently as well. Uh, I guess that takes me to my next point. So as stated on your website, the website for Democracy in Colour, Democracy in Colour is a movement of people of colour and allies working together to fight structural racism. Maybe just to talk people through what Democracy in Colour does. Um, yeah. yeah, that would be amazing. So Democracy in Colour is a racial and economic justice organisation led by people of colour. We do two main things. The first thing we do is campaigning around structural racism. And the second thing we do is a lot of leadership development, capacity building work to strengthen the political voice of people of colour, so training work. Um, we came, we're a startup. We're about a year and a half old. And we were started because we identified three gaps in the anti-racism space. The first one being that the majority of work that happens in this space is service delivery, education, welfare type work. Work that's critically important, but social change is an ecosystem and we need a variety of different actors playing their role. And one actor that we saw that wasn't being played enough was that political campaigning work. So that's the first gap. The second gap was that this space is overwhelmingly dominated by white-led and white-comprised organisations. Uh, and we wanted to create more spaces where impacted communities could run and win on the issues that matter to them and to do so on their own terms. In, in essence, we wanted to create a racial justice organisation that was actually led by people who experience racial injustice. And the third gap, that's where the economic justice side of things comes in for us. The third gap is that we wanted to tackle racism from a more structural perspective. So not just treating racism as this isolated, siloed thing over in the corner, but seeing it from a systems lens, seeing how there's an inextricable link between racial and economic justice, seeing how you know, predatory capitalism and neoliberalism, our economic system creates the fertile environment for political con artists to use racism as a tool, as a weapon, to get us to shout at each other so that we're not talking about the broken rules that screw us all over. So that's uh, democracy in colour in a nutshell. Love that. What a great nutshell. Um, what do you mean when you say social change is an ecosystem? Could you expand on that? Well, I, I think social change is extraordinarily complicated. Uh, it takes a long time and there are a variety of different facets. And so we need a variety of different actors. We need the, the insiders, the people working within the system, the people you know working within major political parties trying to push those parties to be better. Um, working in the public service, trying to you know push the machine to be better. Uh, we need people who you know organise in communities uh, to try and um, uh, bring people, everyday folks, together to take collective action to show everyday folks their own intrinsic political agency. And we need people who are doing the the uh, direct action, you know, chaining themselves to things and uh, getting in the way of everyday business and stopping things, you know, being an inconvenience. Um, um, we need people playing all of these different roles. They all complement um, each other. Uh, and I think that's what we mean by social change as an ecosystem. We deeply believe that. Democracy in Colour, we believe, plays one particular role, but it is only one role. 
Um, and it doesn't work if there aren't a whole variety of other organisations, the peak bodies, the you know, grassroots activists, the individuals, the community organisations, the well-funded, the not well-funded, all of us playing our role. Yeah, right. I guess, you know, with the grassroots movement, it's all about sort of starting things outside of the system. Would you say mm. that democracy and colour works a lot within the system? Like, do you believe in the idea of tackling things from the inside out? No, no. I think uh, I, I see the value of that. Again, like I said, I, I deeply believe that uh, we need people playing um, their role in a variety of different, different spaces. But the gap that we saw uh, and the value add that we wanted to contribute to with Democracy in Colour was one that was very much about um, critiquing a broken system. We believe that the system is broken, that the rules are fundamentally broken, um, that we live in a predatory capitalist society that uh, um, you know, relies on racism to um, get people uh, it's screwed over, to not notice how they're being screwed over by pointing the finger of blame at their neighbour that doesn't look like them. Uh, so for, for us, it's very much about um, the, the system is broken uh, and we need to um, build platforms where we can take collective action together, where we can build enough power together so that we're able to uh, fight back against the vested interests who have everything you know, embedded mm-hmm. in the status quo, uh, fight back against those and build something that works for the majority of us. Yeah, right. I'm all for that. I guess many would argue, and I do agree with this, that in order to tackle structural racism in Australia, we need to first tackle gaining sovereignty for Indigenous Australians. So I guess in saying that Indigenous communities should be front of mind and top priority when discussing liberation in any form, how does democracy and colour work with Indigenous people in Australia? Well, I think the the first thing to say here is that uh, you can't do racial justice uh, or you can't fight for racial justice if that is not in complete alignment with supporting the sovereignty and self-determination of First Nations people. Agreed. Uh, uh, at the very heart of structural racism is, is this country's you know, 230 plus year history of uh, colonisation, of genocide of Aboriginal peoples, of stealing land, of stealing children, of you know, mass incarceration, of deaths in custody, of all of these various things. Um, the various inequalities that are perpetrated to Indigenous communities. It doesn't matter what issue you look at, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's climate change, environmental degradation, uh, whatever. Uh, you can make a sure bet that that issue will disproportionately impact um, uh, Indigenous people more so than any other community. Uh, and so if you believe that, then there's, there's no way... Um, uh, you can work on any of those issues without centering those communities and without centering the impact that those issues have on those communities. So in terms of how we do that, I mean, Democracy in Colour has an Indigenous rights team comprised of people who are Indigenous. Um, We try and centre Indigenous voices uh, and Indigenous folks within our leadership. Uh, And we also work with Indigenous-led organisations, whether that be, you know, ranging from uh, sort of peak type bodies like the Korea Youth Council for example to more grassroots community organisations like Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance or you know SEED uh, uh, Indigenous Climate Network um, uh, and, and I think the other thing to, to think about with this is that again going back to this idea that it doesn't matter what issue you're looking at that issue disproportionately impacts 
Indigenous communities more than anything else. So, for example, last year, you know, we, we were working on a criminal justice campaign in essence around the Victorian state election campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, criminal justice issues, again, disproportional impact Indigenous communities. Uh, the target during the Victorian election was African Australians and South Sudanese community, in particular in Victoria. But, you know, even with that being the target, uh, I think it's important for racial justice campaigners and for us, you know, to always remember, for democracy and colour, to always remember that um, those issues still do, you know, whilst it's African Australians right now, you know, it was Asians in the 90s, it's Muslim community and African Australians right now, it's always been. Um, Aboriginal people. You know, they've always been a target. The target sort of shifts between different minority groups as, uh, uh, you know, the interests of Pauline Hanson, people like Pauline Hanson, Peter Dutton shift. But one thing that's remained constant through that is the attacks, the denigration, you know, um, uh, and and, and the, the, the undermining of the dignity and humanity of Indigenous people. So just always remembering that in our campaigning is something we try to do, something we can always be better at. Um, uh, yeah, and I think uh, yeah, something we can also we can all hold out each other accountable to. Most definitely, I think that's very important to keep each other accountable. But call in. I always encourage that, not calling people out. Um, sure. Um, so I guess speaking of campaigning, can you maybe talk me through the bank's door knock day that's coming up and why sure. why it's important and how actions like door knocking are effective in campaigning. So I can talk more broadly about our federal election campaign and then drill down into to door knocking as a tactic. Yeah. Uh, our, our federal election campaign, we've got a federal election coming up early May, uh, most likely May 18 or May 11, and the date is still to be confirmed. Uh, and uh, our election campaign is very much a sort of um, roll-on from our Victorian election campaign, where we were running this campaign called Stronger Than Fear. Uh, in the Victorian state election um, there was a very toxic narrative that was empl- being employed by some politicians and some elements of the tabloid media that was, in essence, trying to criminalise some communities um, based off their skin colour, in particular African Australians and South Sudanese communities, based off false statistics, you know, based off no data, no facts at all. They were crafting an, uh, this racialized crime panic um, because it suited them and because they knew that a more fearful community, the community that's more likely to vote for punitive criminal justice policies, and it's a community that's more likely to vote for authoritarian and reactionary candidates. Uh, so that was the sort of candidate we were, that was the sort of campaign we we're running in Victoria. Now yeah. we're expanding it nationally for the federal election uh, because for too long we've seen communities of colour either be ignored in this country or, more recently, be used as these political punching bags yeah. um, by desperate, cynical politicians who want to weaponise our differences for their own personal gain. Um, whether it's the debate around immigration uh, or whether it's uh, you know, conversations around the Muslim community or the quote-unquote African gangs or refugees and asylum seekers or the Indigenous community, the same strategy has been employed. Yeah. Where we've got politicians who are employing a particularly perverse, cynical type of politics uh, to try and get different communities to point the finger of blame and shout at each other, as long as we're not talking about how they have propped up a system that works very well for a, a, a tiny few at the perpetual expense of the opportunity and dignity of everyone else. And so our election campaign is about trying to demonstrate to those folks and talk to them in the only language they understand. You know, mm. politicians only understand one language, it's votes. It's margins in electorate, it's narratives in the media, 
um, and it's, it's fundamentally exposed. So we want to try and demonstrate through our election campaign, as we did in the Victorian election campaign, that if you weaponize our differences, if you use our communities, our families, right, our bodies, as uh, these convenient scapegoats, then you'll suffer consequences at the ballot box. So what we're doing is we're going to marginal electorates, in particular the electorate of Banks in New South Wales and the electorate of Latrobe in Victoria, uh, and we're running a marginal seats campaign in this. So doing a lot of voter contact work, a lot of door knocking, a lot of phone banking, um, having one-on-one persuasive conversations with marginal seat voters, so talking to folks at the door about how this country has systemic issues. You know, this country has systemic challenges and how our politicians have deliberately, intentionally constructed narratives to um, obstruct those challenges so that we're not talking about those and so that instead we're, we're hating on our, our, on our neighbours um, and asking people at the door or on the phone to make a pledge to vote stronger than fear. And basically that means if you pledge to vote stronger than fear, you commit to not vote for any candidate that race-based. Race at Fearmongers. Right. Um, so that's the broad strategy. We've chosen banks uh, in, in Sydney because the MP for banks um, is our immigration minister, our current right. immigration minister. Uh, and now our immigration minister, David Coleman, um, has been responsible for trying to push through amendments to our citizenship laws, uh, which have been, he wants to try and increase the waiting period for citizenship by four years. He wants to introduce a standalone English test. He basically wants to introduce version two of the white Australia policy. This is white supremacist policy coded. And so we're targeting that seat because we want to demonstrate to him that if he does that, those sorts of things, uh, then he'll, he'll suffer political consequences, that these communities that have been impacted by the decisions he's making will organise and they'll fight back, particularly in banks because it's such a multicultural community. That community, that electorate deserves an MP that will represent them and their interests. And the Latrobe? In Victoria, our second uh, target electorate, mm-hmm. uh, the MP there is Jason Wood, a horrible, horrible MP who um, uh, has been one of the leading federal voices and contributors to this idea of quote-unquote African games, that there's a, a connection between ethnicity and crime. Again, another former police officers. We've got a big issue with former police officers, MPs who are former police officers being, uh, being, being horrible people. Peter Dunn's another example, Michael Lamb in the Victorian election. Uh, uh, and and this, uh, this MP is also uh, a leading proponent um, and architect of this deportation bill um, that he's been trying to push through Parliament that uh, uh, will give this country the power to deport minors. Uh, so horrible, horrible things that are happening, uh, and we want to also hold him uh, to account um, by demonstrating that you employ this, this type of this perverse politics um, you will suffer consequences at the, at, the, at the ballot box. These communities that you've used as a scapegoat will fight back. Yo! 
There were people that were interested, I guess, in participating in the doorknob. Where would they go to find more information about that? And what does the training entail? Sure. So they can go onto our website, democracyincolor.org, colour with a U, and you can sign up to volunteer there. Or you can just go straight onto our Facebook page, uh, Democracy in Colour, and you can find the events uh, in the events section. 
all of the different door knocks we've got going up. So we've got a door, a door knock coming up on April 6th. We've actually got a, a big training day happening next Saturday as well. Uh, so there'll be a whole variety of actions uh, and a whole variety of um, uh, opportunities to get involved in the campaign. Uh, in terms of what the training looks like, so we've got a big training day happening next Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, again, you can find the details of that on our Facebook page. That will be a big training around electoral campaigning, um, um, what does it look like, how do you have persuasive conversations at the door, how do you do door knocking, all of that sort of stuff. Um, if you just go straight to a door knock, uh, all of the door knocks start off with the briefing, also start off with the training, you know, how do you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, what are the principles behind it, uh, we go through the conversations guide together. We do a couple of role plays just to make sure we've had some practice in a safe space. And then we pair up. Usually it's uh, an experienced person and a, a less experienced person go off in a pair. Uh, and then we go off and we have um, conversations with marginal voters uh, in, the, the, in the seat in the community. Great. So people shouldn't feel deterred because even if they're not experienced, they can buddy up with somebody that is. Yeah, and look, the most important thing in the most, uh, you know, in terms of um, what is the most persuasive element of uh, a one-on-one -on -one conversation, it's um, the communication of values and it's the communication of your story, your own personal story. It's not necessarily facts. You know, we all know that that facts obviously they're important, but they don't play a, they don't have a huge persuasive element. There's a whole, you know. Um, a community of climate denialists out there that, that, that showcase um, this idea that, you know, shouting facts at someone isn't necessarily going to be super persuasive. So if you don't feel like you understand all of the intricacies of, of every policy detail, that's completely fine. You don't need to know that. Um, the most persuasive thing you can do um, in a conversation is just share your own personal story around why you're doing that. Why are you on the, their door on a Saturday morning um, talking to them about the upcoming election and your own values around what you believe this country can be and should be and must be in order for us to create an environment where everybody can fulfill their full potential and where everybody has equal opportunity. Yeah, right. Love that. Very into it. Well, I guess speaking of elections and campaigning, the New South Wales yes. state election is taking place this coming weekend. Uh, yes. Could you maybe break down, like I know you're from Victoria, Melbourne, but could you yes. potentially break down how voting works generally? Yeah, so you should definitely uh, do your own research around this. And I reckon uh, I recommend uh, ABC's Anthony Green, is their elections analyst, who does uh, breakdowns on how various elections work. Okay. But from a high level, uh, New South Wales uses op optional preferential voting. Uh, so under full preferential voting, that's used at the federal election, voters need to number every square on a ballot. But under optional uh, preferential voting, which is what is the case, the system in New South Wales, voters only need to number one square. So you only need to number one square in the ballot and your vote is... Um, legitimate. It's valid. Uh, but the problem with that is if you only number one vote, um, is that your vote can exhaust. So if the candidate that you put the one uh, on uh, doesn't get up, then your vote exhausts. That's it. You, there's nothing else there. Um, but if you number a number of different boxes, you know, you put your one next to your preferred candidate, two next to the next preferred, et cetera, three. If your preferred candidate doesn't get up, then your vote sort of transfers to the second preference. Ah. Okay. Um, so uh, whilst you can put a one, just a one, in your ballot against your preferred candidate, and that's still a valid vote, it's unique sort of to New South Wales, um, it's probably recommended that uh, uh, you mark uh, additional boxes. 
so that you reduce the risk of your boat exhausting uh, and you um, increase the chance of you being um, heard uh, in our democracy. Right. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. What would you, I guess, recommend voters look out for or consider when deciding on who to vote for? Well, look, I... Without, yeah, keeping it bipartisan. Of course, of course. I think, uh, uh, I think there are a whole number of different things, right? There's, there's, there's first, you know, what impacts um, you, your family, your community uh, on a day-to-day basis? You know, who has the policies um, that, that will uh, uh, best afford your family, your community uh, uh, the best opportunity to allow you to fulfill the potential and your hopes and your dreams with, with whatever you're doing? Uh, and I think the second element you want to talk, think about is um, other communities. Uh, so whilst you might be in a, a rosy position, um, how is the candidate thinking of voting for or not voting for, how are their policies going to impact people who are less fortunate than you? Mm. Um, maybe Indigenous communities, maybe asylum seekers, refugees, um, maybe communities of colour, um, queer folk, you know, working class people. How, how are their policies going to, to impact those people? Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And that mm-hmm. those, um, uh, you know, this idea that if you chip away at the humanity of some, is actually chipping away at humanity itself. So uh, we can't live in uh, a successful country, you know, a thriving country, a country that's vibrant, um, if significant chunks of our country um, and its population uh, are suffering. And that is the case right now. You know, we've got 100,000 folk who are homeless. We've got 2.9 million people who live below the poverty line. Um, that's not to talk about the hundreds of black deaths that happened, um, uh, that have happened in custody. It's not to talk about how our criminal justice system overwhelmingly, disproportionately targets Indigenous people. We incarcerate the most Indigenous people in the world. Yeah. Um, and Aboriginal women are the fastest growing incarcerated group in the country. You know, Indigenous children um, in some states are up to 25 times more likely to be incarcerated than non-Indigenous children. Uh, there's racial profiling that impacts a whole variety of people, colour in particular black people. Uh, you know, there's, there's all of these various uh, uh, horrible things that, uh, that, are, that are happening, uh, a whole variety of injustices. Some of them may affect you and some of them may not affect you. But even if they don't affect you, um, I would encourage you to still consider that um, in who you vote for and how you vote. Uh, and I think the third thing is, is, is um, the sort of rhetoric and the narrative um, that the political party or candidate um, employs that you're thinking of voting for. On Friday, we've seen Friday, the church, Christchurch uh, attack. Yeah. We've seen the consequences, right? Definitely. The ultimate conclusion of years of Islamophobia. Islamophobia rooted in our media institutions, in our legal institutions, in our parliaments. Uh, we've seen you know, the, the very real consequences of what can happen if white supremacy is given a platform, if it's given power, if it's, if it's, if it's fueled, you know, if it's legitimised, if it's normalised. Uh, and whilst what happened in Christchurch might seem a far cry away from, you know, Scott Morrison um, uh, calling Islam a dangerous and radical ideology after the Burke Street attacks last year, as one example, uh, those things are connected. Because when people in power... Uh, 
say those sorts of things. When they fearmonger around particular communities, they normalise hate and they normalise fear. And that was hate and fear were at the very root of that attack. So thinking about how does your political party, how does your candidate talk about these issues, in particular talk about different communities? Are they talking about you know, the opportunity for all of us to stand in solidarity with each other as we try and build the type of society that we want to live in, one that reflects the values we all share? Or are they trying to demonise particular communities in, in, this, in this perverse pursuit of votes? Uh, and if it's the, the latter, I'd recommend not voting for them. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. Um, and I agree. I guess, um, what would you say to somebody that <laughs> says that they're quote unquote not political um, or who doesn't believe that their vote counts or that voting is important? Like, obviously I would say that you need to check your privilege, but what would you say to them, Tim? Well, I think firstly I'd say that, that I understand uh, politics is an extremely, you know, how, how can you not be cynical about politics in Australia? where you've got um, um, the two major parties. They're not the same, but on a number of critical issues, they're quite similar. Uh, where you've got from, you know, some of our most senior political leaders, this cynical, perverse, um, cruel type of politics that really only seems to be about the pursuit of their own agenda, the pursuit of their own interests, the pursuit of their own power. Uh, how can you not feel anything other than cynicism? How can you want to do anything other than, than, than disengage? I understand uh, it makes sense. Uh, there's nothing inspiring about Australian politics right now. Absolutely nothing. Um, but I think the flip side is that, you know, if you do that, if you disengage, that's what they want you to do. You know, that's what our political and economic elites want you to do because it works for them. Uh, because the only way they look is if we become organised and organised enough to build enough power to take back the institutions that belong to us, you know, that belong to the community, not to corporate lobbyists, not to money in politics, uh, not to, to career, careerist political hacks uh, that, that have nothing other than their own self-interest at heart. Mm. So... Uh, whilst I, I think it's a totally normal reaction to disengage, you know, to, to maybe not vote, to not think about enrolling, all of those sorts of things, um, uh, I would just keep in mind that that's exactly what they want you to do. It's exactly what, you know, Scott Morrison wants you to do. It's exactly what a variety of um, um, politicians want you to do. They want you to disengage because it makes their job easier. It makes it easier for them to screw you over yeah. when you're not holding them accountable, when you're not paying attention. Um, politics is everything, you know, there's nothing that's not political. Every aspect of our lives is defined by politics, you know, from how your tax dollars, our tax dollars are spent, um, to, to, you know, how much investment is in public institutions, in our schools, in our hospitals, our other essential public services, to how much um, is invested in public transport versus roads, to how much action has been taken on critical issues like the climate crisis, you know, to how our environment has been being preserved for future generations, all of these things, every aspect of our lives has a political dimension to it. And if you withdraw from politics, you're withdrawing from that and you're leaving that space to be occupied by others. You know, politics abhors a vacuum. If you withdraw, it's not like no one's going to fill that space. Someone is going to fulfill that space. It's going to be a, it's going to be a political lobbyist. It's going to be a 
mega corporation is going to be a billionaire that sure as hell does not have your interests at heart. So if you don't fight for yourself, if we don't fight for ourselves, if we don't come together and take collective action, no one else will. Wow. I love that because I've never really considered it from that perspective that every single thing, I guess, is political. Like I've always seen that my existence as an individual and the existence of other people mm. who experience marginalization is of course political like you yeah. know we've sort of been thrust into the political sphere since like you know in utero before we were even born and existed in this world um but yeah I've never considered it like that before I really like the way that you phrased that or framed that mm. yes um, thank you so much, Tim, uh, for having a chat. It was very interesting. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was amazing. Thanks for taking the time. I will make sure I put some links to Democracy Colour uh, so that you can follow them and keep up to date with what they're doing. And Brilliant. Yeah, great. I'll see you later.
my yard, Barney Wallow. 